the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. When I was a child, I had friends who would uh, have this contest to see how long they could hold their breath until they passed out. I never got into that much, but uh, some people do that spiritually. I don't recommend it. Prayer is important. It is a form of spiritual breathing. It is of incalculable value in the life of a believer. It is one of the ways that we align our lives with God's will. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are blessed and honored that you've chosen to spend time with us today, and we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues our study from the Gospel of Matthew entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. So if you have your Bibles... Please return with us to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we thank you for this day. This is a day that you've made, a day that we can indeed rejoice and be glad in as we, your church, gather here in this meeting house to look into your word, Father, to evaluate our lives of worship and to do good things for your kingdom, to bring glory to you, good to others, and growth to ourselves. So, Lord, help us to develop in our prayer life further, to go deeper, Lord, to bring you pleasure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we continue our six-part series on prayer. Uh, This is part four. If you're joining us today, you're kind of coming in the middle of things. We'll review a little bit but we'll see what happens there. The, um, the model prayer is the prayer that we're studying in Matthew 6 where the disciples said, teach us to pray. And then Jesus said, pray then like this. And so we're talking about prayer because prayer is important in the life of every believer. Prayer is spiritual breathing. We inhale God's word and we exhale prayer in response to that. Imagine never exhaling. When I was a child, I had friends who would uh, 
have this contest to see how long they could hold their breath until they passed out. I never got into that much, but uh, some people do that spiritually. I don't recommend it. Prayer is important. It is a form of spiritual breathing. It is of incalculable value in the life of a believer. It is one of the ways that we align our lives with God's will. I mean, think about it this way. When the disciples said, teach us to pray, then Jesus said, well, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, pray then like this. Implicit in that exhortation, implicit in that command is to also think then like this. Because prayer is a thoughtful expression of dependence and it's an act of worship before your father in heaven, the great king of the universe. And yet your father, almost 8 billion people in the world today, and when you pray, the king of the universe inclines his ear to listen And so we want to approach prayer thoughtfully, intelligently. And when we pray, we want to pray then this way because we think this way. You've heard me say it a million times, right thinking leads to right attitudes, actions, words, and deeds. And so over the last few weeks, we've been discussing prayer. And as we've observed more than once, prayer is a simple activity. It's talking to God. But as human beings, naturally... We like to complicate things. And because we're fallen human beings, we tend to complicate them even more. And so we've been trying to unpack this model prayer, these six statements, one affirmation and five petitions or five pleas to perhaps take our prayer life up a notch or two for the glory of God, for the good of others, and yes, our own growth. And so we've looked at this. We looked at the way we complicate things. We've asked questions like, well, Do I pray with my eyes open or my eyes closed? Do I pray standing up or sitting down? Do I prostrate myself on the ground? Do I face a certain direction, hands folded, hands up in the air? What do I do? And we've looked at different examples in the scriptures, right? The apostle Paul, as far as locations went, prayed from prison. There's no perfect location. Jesus was on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You had the Pharisee and the tax collector going up to the temple to pray. They stood. One looked up to heaven, the Pharisee. One looked down, the tax collector, crushed by his own sin. Then there's our friend Jonah, the most successful and unhappy evangelist of all time. He prayed in a fish. He prayed, speaking of how do we dress for prayer, he had seaweed wrapped around his neck. As the fish sounded, he prayed, it says, at the roots of the mountains and the depths of the sea. And eventually, the fish vomited him up on the shore, which couldn't have been pleasant. And I'm sure he kept praying at that point, too. So we've kind of learned that it's not so much the position or the place, but it's the heart. And when you go through the model of prayer, you see that clearly. The Bible prescribes no locale. No position, standing, seated, laying down, sitting up, hands folded, eyes open, eyes closed. And yet, we look for guidance. And so we look to the model prayer. And even from the model prayer, we talk about some of the acrostics that different ministries have derived and distilled over time. Acts, 
adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration is praising God, saying good things about God. Confession is confessing and repenting of your sin. Thanksgiving is being mindful of all the blessings he's given you. And supplication is asking for stuff. Then you have pray. P is for praise. R is for repent, which is like confession. Ask, A is for ask. Y is for yield. Your will be done. Not my will, but yours. And these are kind of roadmaps to guide us a little bit, to maybe help us jumpstart our prayer. And we have seen in the model prayer that there is a right way and the wrong way to pray where Jesus says, pray then like this and don't pray like this. Do not be like the hypocrites. And through it all, I think we've come to understand that it's the heart that matters. And that's why we look at pray then like this and we understand that prayer is something thoughtful, something intimate, something personal between us and God. And therefore, There's a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray. There's a right way to think about prayer and a wrong way to approach prayer. And so we turn our eyes and our attention at this moment to Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 13 to sort of catch us all back up together. I think you'll see the heart of prayer, the right attitude toward prayer in this passage that includes the so-called Lord's Prayer or our Father or the model prayer or as some call it, the Disciples' Prayer. Look with me at Matthew 6, 5 through 13. And when you pray, again, it's not if you pray. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. There's the wrong motive for prayer. Look what happens here. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Whatever attention they got is all they're going to get. We talked about that last time with Isaiah 1 where when you pray with the wrong heart and the wrong relationship, God does not listen. Verse six, but on the contrary, in contrast, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is not a prescription to pray only in your room. It is a description It is a description of someone who is going to pray about prayer in the right way. It's about him and God, not the people around him thinking how pious and wonderful he is. And then we go on. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Gentiles was a term to refer to those outside of the faith. We talked about the prayer wheel where people write their prayers and then spin the wheel or they just chant things mindlessly over and over And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for, because, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then verse 9, pray then like this. Pray then like this. Think then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is our priority. He's our father. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us the strength. Give us what we need, the sustenance that we need for today, for life today. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation 
but deliver us from evil. You see that in the discourse here, the right heart condition, it starts with the focus on God, with expressions of dependence, with the recognition that we've done things that have harmed God and probably harmed others as well, and that we need him. We need his protection. We need his guidance. What you see is a statement of faith, an expression of worship of a heart and a mind given over to God. Not a sinlessly perfect heart and mind because it says, forgive us our debts, but a heart given over to God, a heart that wants what God wants. And you do see the do's and don'ts. Pray like this. When, not if you pray, do this, don't do that. What we see here is a prescription, an outline for prayer, a model for prayer. This first affirmation, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, and then the five petitions throughout which we see the proper mindset and heart condition for a believing prayer, for a believer's prayer. These conditions, these mindsets, these attitudes accompany and drive our prayer. How often do we say, Right thinking leads to right attitudes, actions, words, and deeds. Right thinking also leads to right prayer. It's born out of a right relationship with God. So we take, uh, we take up today verse 12. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this. And then in verse 12, he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And what we're gonna do is take this verse and organize our message today, our discussion around three concepts found in it, I believe. The necessity of repentance in prayer. That when you pray, repentance is necessary. A repentant heart, a broken and tender heart towards God, a heart that is sorrowful for its sin, sincerely sorrowful. Second, repentance and forgiveness and their linkage You can't help but notice there's something going on there. Forgive us our debts as also we have forgiven our debtors. And then the forgiven heart as the forgiving heart. One gives way to the other. And this is a picture of transformed prayer offered by a transformed heart. So let's talk about concept number one, the necessity for repentance the necessity for repentance, a very real part of your prayer life, of your Christian life, of your Christian walk is repentance. Repentance is so misunderstood. It's not just saying you're sorry, it's being sorry. Not sorry that you got caught, not sorry that things didn't turn out well, but sorry that you offended a holy God. And it's implicit, and I would argue explicit, in this verse and in the larger flow of thought in our passage today. Pray then like this, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Where do we see repentance there? In the ask. In the ask. This is a picture of a mind and a heart conscious that it has sinned, offended a holy God. Not that it messed up, not that it made a mistake, Not that it stumbled. It's not like catching a cold. It's not like tripping over the carpet. It's a willful act that must be confessed and forsaken. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 affirms this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
The word confess in the Greek is homo legeo or homo lego, which means to say the same thing, to speak the same thing about our sins. To say the same thing about our sins that God says. That they're intentional, that they're offensive, and that we are without excuse. And so we confess our sins and we receive forgiveness. And we'll get into this in a couple of minutes, but what repentance is, repentance is a change of heart that brings about a change of mind or a change of mind that brings about a change of heart and a change of direction and a change of habit in your life. The Greek word for that is metanoeo. And the word noeo, that that last half there, speaks to the mind. It speaks to the mind becoming convinced. It's a matter of the mind. It starts in the mind. It goes down to 18 inches, so to speak, to the heart and is expressed in our lives. The Greek word, or the Hebrew word is shub, which talks about a turning or a return. Both of them indicate a 180 degree change in direction. It's a big concept. You see it through the Old and the New Testament. People today like to confuse it with an apology or saying, if I misspoke or if I offended you. That, that's, that's not repentance. Repentance is a visible change in a person's life. Is repentance necessary for salvation? Absolutely. There's two kinds of repentance. There's the repentance unto salvation. It happens once when you turn from sin and turn from self-worship and, and autonomy from God to surrender, soul surrender to God. And without that, you cannot be saved. In fact, it's, there, it's the same coin, salvation coin, faith and repentance. One produces the other. They're linked. You can't miss it. How do we know that? Am I overstating the case? Jesus taught it explicitly. Explicitly and concretely in Matthew and Mark. Let's look in Mark 1, 14 through 15. It says this. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying... The time is fulfilled, the time is now, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. They're linked. A repentant heart is a believing heart. Like I said, there's two kinds of repentance because after you repented once to salvation and once saved, always saved, you're going to discover as the Holy Spirit works in your heart, as you study God's word, as you pray, that You're not perfect and that given half a chance sometimes you might engage in sin. You might do something at work. You might snub somebody. You might react wrongly to a situation and choose to elevate yourself to Godhood in that moment of temporary insanity. And so there is a daily repentance where God brings to mind your sin and as you pray and as you look in his word and he begins to polish off the rough edges in your life. We call that sanctification or spiritual growth. And you see this in the Old Testament and the New. I'll give you an example. In the Old Testament, Psalm 32, one through six, there are penitential psalms where the psalmist writes and he's repenting of his sin. And you'll see this. This is King David, the man of whom God said, a man after my own heart, despite his many and inexcusable sins. And it says in Psalm 32, one through six, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now watch this. 
Blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long and day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up by the fever heat of summer. Where's the repentance here? Here's the guy refusing to admit his sin, sort of, keeping silent about his sin, not coming clean with God. And then in verse five, we see this repentance, this not making excuses. I acknowledged, I admitted my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly, everyone who is saved, offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. This is a prayer of repentance, asking God to forgive him. When he kept silent, he was out of fellowship with God. He felt the weight. In verse five, I acknowledge my sin to you. I said, I will confess my transgressions and you forgave the guilt of my, the, the, the iniquity of my sin. And that's what's kind of bound up there and forgive us our debts an acknowledgement, an admission. Forgive us our debts. Takes away our excuses. You know, debt is something we incur voluntarily. Right? It's a choice we make. We try to blame other people. I was listening to a podcast and reading some information. There's $1.7 trillion in student debt. Takes about 20 years for the average college student to pay it off. Sometimes they get degrees. I heard uh, Dave Ramsey talk about in nuanced left-handed puppeteering or in my case, political science. You know, and then they want to be, they want all the student debt taken away because it's not their fault. God uses debt here to illustrate and to indicate that you made a choice and because you have offended him, you are indebted to him. No one made you sin. No one made me take out a student loan. It's my responsibility. It's an admission of choice. And that you come empty-handed before God, not making excuses. You didn't mess up. You didn't stumble. You didn't backslide. Those, those terms are all abused today and used to make excuses. Nobody triggered you to sin against the holy God. It was an act of rebellion. And this verse is an admission of that voluntary crime against the nature and character of God. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see that attitude of repentance, of being crushed and over your sin. In Psalm 51, one through four, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I have sinned and done evil in your sight. Against you and you only is very different from well, I kind of messed up. Messing up is backing out of the driveway and hitting the neighbor's mailbox. Sin is not messing up. And repentance isn't saying you're sorry in two days, four days, or six weeks later doing the same old insanity again and again. Those things are unrelated. 
It's like the politician who says, if I offended someone, I'm sorry. I misspoke. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. No, David says just the opposite. You can feel, sense, smell his grief in his confessions. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.